Hello, amazing beings. Welcome back or welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I am your host. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy, and I help spiritual adventurers remember who they are and why they're here so they can up-level with ease. And you guys, that last full moon was a doozy. For me, it felt like I was riding on a bus, a really crowded bus, really rickety bus going down switchbacks on a mountain with no guardrail way faster than I'm comfortable going. And you know what? That's what life feels like sometimes. Completely out of your control, completely filled with the unexpected and a whole lot of what the hell is going on. And guess what? It's okay. We can still handle this. We can laugh and say, wow, universe, what is going on? I'm trying to learn the lesson. And we can remember that every single moment of every single day, we have the opportunity to choose whether we believe that we live in a friendly universe or an unfriendly universe. And if we choose that we live in a friendly universe, then you know what? Everything that is happening is happening for us. It's not happening to us. It's happening for us. And when we know that everything that's happening is happening for us, we can get curious. We can trust like a mofo and we can get super curious and wonder, I know this is for me. I'm so excited. I know this is in my best interest, even though it doesn't really feel like it right now. And thank you. I'm so excited to see how this all plays out. So that thought has nothing to do with this week's guest as usual. This week I'm talking to Jennifer Longmore and her bio is a bit deceiving. I mean, it's all completely true and accurate, but this woman is completely magical. Now I'll read you a little bit of her bio. She's a success strategist for high achieving executives and entrepreneurs who want to leave their mark on their organization and ultimately the world. Over the past 15 years, Jennifer has worked with over 100,000 individuals from C-suite execs to politicians to entertainment industry A players and more. Jennifer helps these high performers get clear on their priorities and purpose, step into greater leadership roles, expand their wealth consciousness, achieve their goals, and ultimately live a more purposeful, prosperous, and joyful life and career. And like I said, she is completely magical. I'm excited for y'all to meet her. Now, no matter what your life is like right right now, remember that it is all happening for you. Even this stupid, crazy, insane, terrifying bus ride, it is for you. So go forth and be awesome. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm so excited you're here. Well, I am excited that I'm here. So, <laughs> bio and the there's so much interesting stuff in there. But one thing that stood out to me is that you used to be a, a forensic social, a forensic social worker. And yes. you just explained that to me before we started recording. But I think it's so interesting. I would love you to ex- just tell the world, please, what that means. Yeah, I don't think I don't even know I could do it justice. And I certainly didn't really understand what I was signing up for when I did that. And I did that for many, many years. But basically, we got trained to assess whether a bruise was an accidental bruise or not. Um, 
you know, whether burns on a child's body were purposeful or accidental, whether there were any, you know, marks in a child's mouth or other parts of their body that were perhaps, you know, sexual violations as opposed to, you know, Johnny fell off his bike. We had to learn how to interview kids properly to make sure that we walked them through a process so that they didn't uh, get re-traumatized in court, right, and get a really accurate statement of whatever they were sharing. And there was always ways to check whether a child had been spoon-fed information or whether, you know, it was, was something that actually happened. The same with perpetrators. There was a way to walk people through an interview to catch them in a lie if there were any lies to catch them in. And um, we got to, on my team that I was on, we did all the crazy stuff, which I told you, we did all the cults. We investigated foster homes. We investigated high profile people, celebrities, child singers. Like anyone's ever surprised that, you know, their interest in singing to children might go a little further. Um, <clears throat> police officers, high ranking military folks, it didn't matter what it was. So we had to really be on our game because we, it was already guaranteed we were going to go to court. We were either going to be sued or we were going to be going to criminal court. So we had to, and so at 23 years old, when I started that job, I had all kinds of murders, attempted murder cases assigned to me. I had four months experience on the job and you grow up really quickly <laughs> and you learn a lot about human behavior. Yeah. How did you find yourself at 23 doing this? Is this what you'd always dreamed well, of when you were a little kid? Is this what you decided you wanted to absolutely do? Absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not. So I always thought I was going to be a teacher. The, the interesting thing is I am a teacher now, right? And when I look back at when I was a kid, I would have flashbacks when I would be leading healing circles. And I just have this moment like, oh my goodness, I was doing this at five years old. So all these things were kind of foreshadowing my future. But when you think teacher, you just think, oh, I'm going to go and become an actual teacher. I, um, in grade 11, went and worked in a classroom for developmental services, and I became a supply teacher, basically, for them, and all the parents loved me. So then they all had government contracts to have one-to-one -one workers after school, so they all bombarded me and said, can you work with my son or daughter after school? And then I started getting approached by other government agencies saying, can you come and be a social worker for my kid or my organization, or can you come and work in this group home, or can you come and work in our mental health program? So by the time I got to university, I had a, an amazing resume and I never thought I would end up doing that. I mean, I love people. I've always loved to help people, but um, I basically, that work experience guided me into get my undergrad in social work. And then one of my professors was a CEO of a child protection agency and he was on me. You have to come and work for me. Please, 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 please. I need you. And I'm like, I don't want to do that job. That's a crappy job. I don't want to be dealing with that kind of stuff all the time. And I was sharing with you, some of my colleagues would get punched in the face, run over by cars. One of my colleagues got her arm broken three times because she just didn't know how to manage her power, right? Even cops, right? It's the same thing. Like you can be a real asshole as a cop or you can be respectful, right? Even if you don't think someone deserves it <clears throat> and the respect is going to go a long way. Anyway, so um, the government changed at that time, which was not part of my plan. My plan was to have a couch and an office and people were going to come and sit and have tea and tell me about their marital issues. And I was going to say, they're there. Life's going to be okay. <clears throat> Let's help you live your best life. That's what I thought I was going to be doing. Uh, but I, had, I did have all the training in forensic social work. And so there were no jobs. And the best, the highest paying job was in what I did. And um, 
So people said, if you do, if you can do that job for two years, anyone will hire you because you'll have so much life experience. You just get basically a PhD and everything, right? You have addictions, domestic violence, child development, all kinds of things. And I ended up staying that way longer than I expected because it's run as a crisis. And so they never have any succession planning. And so I would talk myself into staying in the job. I'd be kind of on autopilot. And then I'd have that moment where I was like, I'm done. And the day I would go in to resign, there would be honestly 20 resignations on the board, like all job description. I'm like, well, I can't do this to them now is what are they going to do? Who are they going to reassign all these cases to? I guess I'll just suck it up for another month and then I'll hand in and then, you know, a year goes by and so on and so on. And then I finally just went, they have no interest in running this organization properly. They, they blame their clients for living in crisis, but they live in crisis all the time. Them not getting their shit together and having a proper hiring plan is not, is no longer my issue. I can't do this anymore. I had adrenal fatigue. I, um, had some safety issues. You know, I got a guy that had murdered his wife named Jennifer and he was, on surveilling my house and um so i left and that was it <laughs> did you have a plan when you left well i didn't have a plan i was scared poopless and i i actually think you know looking back at the amount of times i've been scared poopless i think that that's actually a good place to be when you haven't been making the decisions that you know you need to make i knew after three months on that job like it was time for me to pack it in. It was not good for me, even though I really wanted to help people. I was already getting compassion fatigue and, um, you know, I didn't have a life. I was working 16 hour days, living for the weekend, barely sleeping. And, um, so I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just kept praying like, Oh, universe, please send me something. And my old boss actually recruited me into her corporate, uh, in the corporation that she went to work for. So then I went and did sexual harassment investigations and employee fraud investigations. And that job was boring because it was true nine to five. There were hardly anything, anything to investigate. So it, and I wasn't a corporate person. I didn't blend with that. I was a public service worker right at that time. And, um, but what it, the gift it gave me anyways, is my point is that I got to work until five o'clock. I could truly clock out at five o'clock. And because I had started to think I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I actually had the time and the space and the energy to go to these networking events. Now, at the time, I thought all these people were speaking alien. So I wasn't entirely committed to being an entrepreneur, but I wanted to at least immerse myself in these groups, right? And see uh, what lit me up. And I was like, dang, there's someone that's doing Reiki. Her whole business is built around Reiki. I can do that. You know, and so I started seeing what was possible. I had two years to let my adrenals heal, right? I could actually make plans with people and not have to cancel. I could go places. My body got back on track. And then I was scared shitless again, right? Because I, I knew I couldn't stay there. It was painful for me to stay there. Every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, I hope they fire me. And then one day they did. <laughs> Not really, but they, they were shifting the organization. They laid a bunch of us off, right? Well, they gave us the opportunity to go, I don't know, out west or whatever it was. And I didn't want to go. So that was a huge gift for me. But I was still scared, even though I was very grateful for the gift. And, uh, and then I was forced to just start the thing that I kept saying I wanted to start. And I had to, like we all do, take the leap and trust that the net would catch me. And it did. So here I am 15 years later running a pretty 
cool business, you know, touching a lot of lives and doing all the things that I liked before, which was helping people. <clears throat> I still talk to people about trauma. A lot of the reasons why entrepreneurs don't move forward is because of old abuses and violations and bullying and all kinds of PTSD related things. So I can help them with that stuff. Uh, but I don't, I have voluntary clients now, right? Back mm. in the day, they weren't voluntary. And it's very different to work with people that actually seek you out and want to work with you rather than when you're knocking on their door, they're saying, what are you doing here? And I'm not letting you in. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> there, okay. There's so much gold in there. Um, the first is that wanting to be fired. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get to that place with, but they're not really conscious. They're like, I hate my job. I hate my job. And then a lot of people will end up, they'll get let go, reshuffled, whatever it is. And they're like, oh my God, now what am I going to do? And they go in panic mode and victim Mm -hmm. mode, whereas they've actually been asking for this the whole time. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Okay. So both times you left your job. I find this, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. It's like you, you finally stepped into your power when you mm-hmm. were in the, the government job and finally yeah. said, their panic is not my panic. Their crisis is mm-hmm. not my crisis. Like I got to take care of me. Mm-hmm. And then with your corporate job, well, it sounds like it was so cushy is not the right word, but it like uh, gave you space to be you to heal. It was a gift. It was a total gift. And it was, it was not aligned for me in the long term. It was very superficial. Every day I walked in, you would literally get looked up and down by women in the office to see if your purse matched your shoes, always get a comment on your outfit, on your hair. It was always about going out for lunch and posturing right away. I think I'd work there for a week and they're like, so what's your succession plan with the company? Where do you see yourself? I don't know. I just got here. Like, relax. <laughs> and we went to this, the week I got hired, they had these quarterly meetings and they, they, I remember they were playing U2. It was a beautiful day and they just blared it and someone runs out on stage, like one of the CEOs or whatever and rah, rah, rah. And they give out sweatshirts and water bottles and all this stuff. And isn't this a great company? I thought I was at an Amway convention. It was so repulsive to me. Not that I've ever been to one, but I can imagine that's how it was. And all my bosses came up to me, the VP of HR and, and uh, the VP of HR from the major corporate office. And um, they're like, isn't this great? Aren't you so happy you're here and in my head? And I have such a hard time lying, right? And I don't do well on the spot. Like I have to really bite my tongue. So um, I, I, knew th- I knew what they needed me to hear. So my dilemma was, do I tell them what they want to hear? Or do I, you know, kind of politely say, oh yeah, that was interesting, right? Which is always like that nebulous comment, right? So I said, wow, that it's amazing how much work they put into um, really trying to pump up their employees. It's so impressive. That's where I left it, right? Because I could say that. But I, I felt slimed on pretty much at that moment. And they were always on me about what my goals were for the company and what other education I was going to take. And I'm thinking, God, like I've got my master's. I don't need to keep chasing some piece of paper that's useless to me. But it just, it was a kind of fate, you know, their idea of what was important, I guess, to me was not important, right? Mm, and right. They, they were living in a bubble of, of what I thought was minutia. 
So yeah, but it was a huge gift. And then my biggest fear after that was crap, I've run out of excuses now, which I think we all get to, right? Like that's one of the things I hear from my clients when they apply for coaching. I'll, I'll say, what's your biggest fear about coaching with me? That I'll run out of excuses and I'll have to do the thing, right? Mm. Whatever the thing is. And that was true for me. I had nothing left. And just before I launched my business and then this job came up as a director of training with hospice and I'd always wanted to work for hospice. I respected the organization right up my alley. I was perfectly qualified for it, probably a little overqualified for it. And, but I thought, wow, like that would mean a lot to me to be a part of that organization. I showed up five minutes late to my first day on the job. Who does that? I had no reason to, right? Like I, there wasn't, it wasn't traffic. There wasn't construction. I, some part of me didn't want to be there because I'd already committed to doing my business, but then the security net popped itself up and also that FOMO piece, right? Of like, yeah. Oh, if I don't do this, you know, what if this is my destiny, blah, blah, blah. And I called in, this is embarrassing to say, but I think it's hilarious too. On the fifth day I called in sick. <laughs> I could not like, honestly, I was so immobilized in my bed. I could not even get out of my bed. I was not sick. I was just glued to my bed. The thought of going out there felt so heavy to me and so incongruent. I just couldn't do it. And uh, so she said, I get the sense that like the person that had just hired me, right? I get the sense that there's something going on. And I said, yeah, I really wanted to make this work. She goes, well, in all honesty, when we interviewed you and we asked if you were willing to forego your business, to go to evening events and stuff, I guess I leaned back in my chair and crossed my arms across my chest and said, yes, that <laughs> my body language told it all. And she said, I didn't really pay attention to that, but the person that was interviewing with me noticed that. And we weren't sure if we wanted to offer you the job, not because we didn't like you or because we didn't think you were qualified, but because we could kind of sense that you probably weren't gonna stick around that long. So they weren't offended, right? But um, after that, I was like, I just have to go all in. I love the wisdom of your body. So your yeah. body, you're like all in trying to get this job or maybe not all in, but yeah. your mind thinks you are and your body yeah. closes you <laughs> off and leans back. And then a few days later, your body Velcros you to your bed and says, no, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so bizarre. I felt so bad. It's not like me to be late for things. And I really like to honor my commitments to the best of my ability. Sometimes it's not always possible, right? But on a rare occasion, I may have to back out of something. But um, yeah, it was just, it was it's such a bizarre experience to me. But I'm so grateful that I had that because I really learned from that that you can't have a plan B in business. A lot of people don't succeed in business because they have a plan B. They don't even maybe fully know they have a plan B, but as long as you have a plan B, you're never really all in. You don't have both feet into your business. And I needed both feet in my business. And as soon as I left that job, all of a sudden I had massive traction in people that were coming to me. I'm feeling like authenticity and integrity are big values of yours. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. If so anyone follows happened? me on Facebook, you know. <laughs> Um, so as you finally release yourself, free yourself from yeah. all these roles that you've been trying to play, what did that feel like? What did it, how did your body respond? It was amazing. I remember feeling so light. I mean, I was still apprehensive. Of course we all are, right? I was heading into the unknown. I didn't speak the language. 
I didn't know if I could make it work. There's way more invested in living your purpose, right? It's one thing to just go and get a job that you like, because if it doesn't work out, you'll be disappointed, but it's not going to break your heart, right? But if you follow your dream and then it doesn't work, right, that's hard for people to bounce back from. So I think that's part of what our fear is. But uh, I felt very liberated. I was definitely floating around in no woman's land for sure for a while. Like I really just didn't, I think with all of us entrepreneurs, right? I see a lot of new entrepreneurs saying, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't have business training. Well, newsflash, none of us had business training. We all had to figure it out. We all had to trip over our own feet. We all had to learn how to ask for help. We all had to learn through trial and error and split testing things and the rest of it. And we still do that now, right? There's things I launch and I'm convinced it's going to be the best thing ever. And then I'm like, oh, two people signed up for that. Huh. <laughs> right. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it happens. But um, you know, I don't I absolutely don't regret any of those experiences because they were huge gifts in a lot of ways. And then I feel like entrepreneurship just enhances all those things that you already learn. It forces you to be in your power even more. You're always going to be given opportunities to stand in your power, to make sure your boundaries are solid to make sure that you're, you know, operating in alignment, that you're saying true yeses and you're, you're not saying yes when you mean no and that kind of stuff. Like there's just so many opportunities for growth. Yeah. I feel like entrepreneurship puts exclamation points at the end of everything. <laughs> yeah. When you're having a good day, it's a yeah. good day. Yeah. And when you're having a bad day, it's like, what? happened here yeah what are the gd stars doing right now this is bullshit i want to talk to the manager yep and then yeah. you're just like learning a little <laughs> tiny lesson around boundaries no you're not you're learning a big lesson around boundaries yeah exactly exactly i had to just release a client a few weeks ago and she'd been begging to work with me and i said look i can't work with people in their startup mode it's just painful for me i can't help you figure out what you want to be when you grow up you need to come to me already knowing what you want to do and she had the money right and i didn't take her because of the money i i do well in my business but she got begging and i said okay well as long as you promise me you're not going to be one of those typical startups that vacillates for 12 months and you know, nine months in, you're still trying to figure out what you want to do for your business and chasing butterflies. I have to constantly get my butterfly net out and catch you. I can't do that. That's painful. It's not a good use of your time or your money, right? Just go take a course on starting a business, right? Oh no, no, no. I won't be that person. And I'm already making money. Well, sure enough, it was like chasing butterflies with her, right? So she played a lot of games as people do when they're in that mode and start, you know, avoiding payments and all this kind of stuff. And then finally I just fired her and, um, with love, of course, I didn't say you're fired, but I just said, this isn't working out. And, um, you know, I'm going to set you free so you can go and find someone that can help you. And, but what it did was like, I'm not joking within an hour. I got an email from a client that said, hi, I, um, I want to start working with you. How quickly can we start? And I can pay you in full. And I was like, awesome. That's, you know, someone that I knew that was ready to rock and roll. So always evidence, right? That when we let go of stuff in business, it's always replaced by the end better. And there's another and piece too. To yeah. yeah. So, but you started out super clear on, I know what's a yes and what I'm not available for. You set yeah. the tone and you said like, you've got to be this way. I don't work mm -hmm. with people in this style. And then when the person... Mm -hmm like fell through and fell into the no zone, 
you released her lovingly. Uh And that I think is really the key to opening up to letting in what's really supposed to feed your soul. Yeah. And my point for bringing it up actually was around the boundary piece, right? Because I went, I create those boundaries for a reason because I've been there and it's not to say everyone's going to be like that, but energetically some part of me knew that was going to happen. Right. So I went against my intuition, which is what we're always learning to in business. Right. Always. <laughs> when something sounds good on paper, but your gut's like, no, don't go near that. But our, our logical mind's like, but it sounds so good. I get an opportunity to speak to a thousand women to my ideal community. And then you get to the event and there's like two people in the audience, yeah. right? That kind of stuff that your gut is saying no. So even though I'm really intuitive and that's what I do for a living, there's still times where I will not listen to that. So I didn't blame her though. And I didn't mm-hmm. blame me either. I just went, oh, okay. You know, you, you set that policy for a reason. You really need to just stick to that policy from now on. You have tons yeah. of people you can refer her to. Like, let's just get on with it. Yeah, that listening to our intuition, you know, I, I want to say, I feel like I've really owned it now, but you know what? I still slip up and every <laughs> once in a while, I'm like, oh, shoot. I knew that. I really yeah. did know that wasn't going to work. It didn't feel good. Yeah. And it's kind of comical though, right? Because you have a good chuckle at yourself. Like, oh, oh absolutely. Look at, me. look at me be cute. I let my curious George run the show there. Exactly. I should have just, you know, honored my intuition. But I wanted to know why I got the hit that I shouldn't do that. I had to follow that path to find out the why. Always. Yeah. That's, and that's the dance. That's so me. It is like super intuitive <laughs> and super curious. Yeah. So I know I shouldn't go down that dark alley, but I really want to know what's in there. Yeah, I really just man can't be the here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, did you have you always been super intuitive? Yeah, I I was intuitive from well, even I remember seeing orbs and stuff in my crib. My grandfather used to solve crimes with the police as a psychic medium, so he was super excited when I started predicting things. Like the phone would ring, you know, well, before the phone would ring, I'd say, so-and-so's going to call. They have to cancel because of a snowstorm. And then within two minutes, you know, I was like two and a half years old. How would I know any of this stuff, right? And then sure enough, the phone would ring and they'd get that, you know, that message. And so I spent my childhood freaking people out, but not knowing. And I didn't know who to be because I was just being me. And I had no idea I was telling people information about themselves that I shouldn't have known. So people would get really weirded out around me. And then on top of that, I did really well in school. So teachers loved me, which doesn't always go over well, right? So I had to compensate to be likable. And that never feels good. Mm-mm. And I can, I feel like I've released probably a good chunk of that. I'm sure it bubbles up every once in a while. In my teenage years, I was really mad. You know, people kept saying it was a gift. I'm like, this does not feel like a gift. This feels like a curse. And, uh, then in my late teens, I just kind of surrendered to it. I said, well, I said to myself, you know, I'm being angry at this gift. Isn't making it go away. So why don't I just lean into it and see what happens? And I started, you know, getting immersing myself in crystals and astrology and numerology and stuff. I started going to these past life regression circles with my mom and just getting introduced to the energy side of things. And then I had a car accident when I was 21 and my mom swapped services with me because I was in university at the time. I didn't have a lot of money. And she swapped services with her Reiki master to do Reiki on me. My mom would do reflexology on her. 
So that was a great gift because then I was, she kept bugging me to do my Reiki mastery or like to even just do my level one. I'm like, I am in a university. Do you honestly think I have any more time? The part of the reason why I had the car accident was because I had too many classes and my life was spinning out of control. I was in university full time. I was working two full time jobs and then I would come home and work a full time job on the weekends where I slept over in a group home and I had a boyfriend and uh, my life was spinning out of control, right? I had no time for anything. So she's like, you need to do your level one Reiki. I'm like, dude, when am I going to find time? Like, I do not need to take any more courses. I do even, I don't even have time to do this, you know, and the whole reason I'm here and in this situation is because I piled on too much. She said, well, it's not a typical class. It's not what you think. Just come. And if you don't like it, leave. Well, as soon as I got in there within like 15 minutes of it starting, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to do my Reiki mastery. She said, yeah, I know. And uh, <laughs> so I did that. I think I was a Reiki master by the time I was 22 or something like that. And um, so that gave me the energy piece anyways, right? And I, I always say Reiki is like the gateway drug for healers. It opens you up to the thing that you're meant to do, whether it's crystals or massage or I don't know, whatever, right? So for me, it was Akashic Records. And I started getting messages for the Akashic Records. That's how I started my business. Uh, I did it on the QT. For a few years because I didn't want to bring shame to the agencies that I was working at, right? Because mm -hmm. I couldn't be seen in public promoting this woo-woo stuff and then be in court and be credible. So I, uh, and that didn't feel good either, living in the closet. So there was a lot of freedom that came when I started my business because I could truly be me and people were paying me to help them. And I didn't need them to pay me to help them. I was just so happy that I got to do this for a living. Like I would pinch myself and go, wow, people are paying me to do this. Like, I just love this. I could do this all day long. It's natural for me to do this. And I didn't have to be in the closet anymore. I decided as soon as I opened my business that if I ran into anyone that I used to work with, because I was one of my fears, that they could, you know, go suck an egg. <laughs> Basically, if they thought I was crazy, that's their belief. I don't need to change their mind. If they need to think I'm crazy, that's okay. I know I'm very sane. Uh, and surprisingly people were pretty excited that I was doing it. And most people believed in what I did. They were closeted too. Right. And they couldn't come out and talk about it either. That's so amazing. Okay. Yeah. I do want to go back to, so you grew up with your mom's a reflex reflexologist. Your grandfather yeah. was a psychic medium. What an incredible yeah. supportive family network to have around you as you're discovering this gift. Oh yeah. Well, my paternal grandparents lived right across from a graveyard. So we would always have ghosts in their house. Like we could see them. There was mm -hmm. one room in the house. It didn't matter what time of year it was. It could be 40 degrees out, like in Celsius, whatever that is in Fahrenheit, but you know, stinking hot, hot yeah. and humid. And, um, that room would be ice cold, like a freezer. There was just always presence. And so I was used to hanging around ghosts. I was used to doing all the psychic stuff. My parents and I went for a past life regression when I was four I didn't know this was abnormal. You don't, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter what, if you're having the poop beat out of you, if you're living in a woo environment like me, if you're getting the silent treatment, if you have an alcoholic parent that throws things, whatever it is, you don't know that's not how everyone else lives. You honestly think everyone else is living that way until probably I'm going to say like grade two or grade three. Yep. You really just don't get it until you really start visiting other people's homes and your brain starts to catch up and your perceptions and your level of comprehension. So I just thought everyone lived the way we did. I had no idea, right? And that was, uh, looking back, I mean, it was a huge gift. I didn't get sent to church. I didn't have to unravel years of religious programming. I didn't have to 
um, do all kinds of duty-based things in, in um, pursuit of understanding why we're here and you know what happens after we die and all the things that kids ask about. I, got, I had the freedom to just be on my own journey. Nobody gave me any answers. Nobody mm-hmm. even tried to give me any answers. I just got to form my own opinions and have my own experiences, right? So I had all kinds of, now what I know at the time, I thought they were imaginary friends, but I now know they were guides and other people, right? And um, I had a lot of adults that were supportive of me. So I never got shamed for my gifts. A lot of people do. Uh, so I, I was very fortunate that way, for sure. I felt like a weirdo at the time, and especially because all the kids in the neighborhood were going to some sort of religious institution on the weekends, whether it be a temple or a mosque or a church or whatever. I always felt left out. I had nobody to play with, right, for that chunk of time that everyone was gone. But it was such a gift to not have, in my opinion, right? It was such a gift for me to, to oh, yeah. have that. Yeah, oh, I agree completely. I don't have the... I didn't have a heavy religious upbringing at all, but I certainly didn't have anyone saying it's okay that you know that it's like, Mm -hmm. instead it was, it was don't say those things. It was Mm -hmm. more of a shutdown. And so I did shut it down. I shut down my intuition for, you know, as a teenager and then Mm -hmm. rediscovered it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine you know, I feel like a baby in this space now compared to people like you that actually were babies surrounded by this amazing spiritual world and uh, like knowledge. Yeah, I didn't grow up with that. Yeah, I don't know. Like I still didn't really know what to do with it all. And my parents were still very human. Believe me when I tell you, there was still lots of screaming at the dinner table and lots of just crap, right? And family dysfunction. So having that spiritual awareness didn't actually actually make them respond in any more caring way. Mm. They just respected the gifts, right? So, and I'm not saying that that would even be everyone's situation, but you know, some people are religious up until a certain point, And then all of a sudden they have this life changing thing. They have a surgery or they have an accident or something. And all of a sudden they have almost like a walk-in experience and then they become a completely different person. All of a sudden they're channeling some heavenly being and their life totally, you know, course corrects. And they went from being an accountant to all of a sudden being like a channel mm-hmm. and a bunch of people following them for channeled messages. Right. At whatever way I think we're meant to to get to this place where we use our gifts and, and speak about them openly or, and use them openly is how we're meant to get there. Mm, I agree. Everyone's path is different and the steps to get there are, mm-hmm. are really preparing us mm-hmm. for what we're really supposed to do. I mean, let's mm-hmm. talk about your path, forensic social worker. How did your time then prepare you for your work now? Total preparation because I have, I've heard and seen so many things that there's no definition of normal, right? So people like I attract a lot of people that are on the periphery of society and it doesn't mean I only attract those, but people somehow they must have spidey senses for that. Like they can honestly tell me something and I'm not going to judge them. So it, it allowed me to understand there's really no such thing as normal. And I also, like I mentioned before, learned a lot about addiction and development and the, you know, what's the cause and effect of sexual abuse, because 
back in the day, one out of every four girls was being sexually abused. That was what was reported. That's just what was reported. And one out of every five boys, right? So most people have had some sort of violation. It may not be within the realm of extremes, right? But any kind of violation of your sexual energy or, or your physical body of any kind, and, and also, well, of course, you know, the emotional and mental abuse as well, has an impact and it determines who you attract as a partner into your life. It determines how much money you allow and it determines whether you're gonna follow your purpose. It determines whether you have good social relationships. It determines whether you go out and, and take in as much life as you can. So I'm able to normalize things for people. A lot of women that, that come to me have had sexual abuse and I am very confident in the kind of ripple effect that that creates for them. And when they understand a lot of times the awareness helps shift energy when they understand that of course they're experiencing a b and c because of what happened to them and of course they develop those coping mechanisms right a lot of women who have gained you know like i'll hear from entrepreneurs that they don't want to go on stage or do facebook live because they still have weight to lose it's not about the weight it's never about the weight it's about what's keeping the weight on and i'm not saying all the time but a lot of times it is from trauma from younger years and they then feel bad because they're not doing video. Everyone's telling them they should do video, which by the way, there's no should, but some part of them wants to do video. Some part of them wants to be more visible, but they're scared shitless and they're going to keep making themselves. So then they're doubly bound by the shame. They're holding on to shame from their past and then they're shaming themselves because they're not doing the thing and they keep promising themselves they're going to do the thing and they're not. So the great thing about business is that it, it pokes the wound that already needed to be healed. It's just, mm -hmm. just the mechanism. The shame already needed to be released. Of course, they're going to feel ashamed that they're not doing X because that's the very energy that needs to heal. And the business button needed to press on that, right? And so we have to deal with the actual shame that's keeping the weight on, for example, if that's what, what the issue is for them in their mind, if it's keeping them from being visible, if it's keeping them from feeling worthy of allowing in more money or charging more, whatever the case may be. Mm. Yeah, it's all, all stories that keep us yeah. from shining all the way through. Yeah. Did you, when you first started your business, were you working with business owners, with entrepreneurs? No, I was working with everyone because I was just doing readings and teaching classes. So I was offering Reiki. I was teaching Reiki classes. I was doing Akashic Record readings. And then I eventually started a certification program. I would teach classes on the power of intention. I would do healing circles. But I was basically doing readings. So anyone, like I had celebrities. I had professional basketball players. I had corporate execs. I had people that were... Um, you know, removing garbage and blackjack dealers. I had some masseurs, you know, some people that worked in the uh, adult industry and dancers and stuff coming to me. I actually had a lot of them because <laughs> I was, I had an office in Toronto at that time and they would come and they'd want to know, you know, which uh, John they should choose. These guys would propose to them and say, look, I live in Chicago. I have a wife and children in Chicago and I want to put you up in this condo on the waterfront and I'll come and see you once a month. And when I'm here once a month, you know, you'll be mine basically. And then they'd get another offer. So they'd come to me and think somehow that it was going to be divinely orchestrated that I would guide them about which, which lack of integrity situation to choose. Right. And not that those were all other questions, but yeah, I had people in the mafia that had left the mafia coming and getting some healing. One guy used to have to chop people's hands off if they didn't pay their money. 
then he had to he wanted to come and heal all the stuff around that. So I I just took anyone, which was hilarious, right? Because I had no, I just intuitively knew whether someone was okay to have in my home or not, because I had a home office as well. But yeah, I didn't have any. I just was like, well, yeah, the universe wants me to serve these people. I was in total servitude. So I learned a lot from that too, right? But um, then I started getting people saying, hey, you've got a great business here. Can you teach me how to create a business like yours? And then I would slowly take on, you know, clients as they asked. And then I eventually turned it into a program. And so now I just prefer to work with entrepreneurs because there's a level of risk taking and uh, personal responsibility and and a growth mindset typically that comes with being an entrepreneur that, and that doesn't mean I don't take on corporate clients, but for the most part, entrepreneurs are just a certain breed of people and they tend to be much more personally responsible for their results and more motivated to get there. And they're hungrier to get results, right? Because their income is dependent on how much they're growing and evolving and aligning their energy. Yeah. And you now you've got these great stories about all these humans you've interacted with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've shared all these stories about these moments when you've been scared shitless. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Scariest thing I've ever done. I really do think it was leaving a job. I didn't know that entrepreneurship was possible for me. I wasn't raised that way. It was just through omission. They weren't trying to guide me into being uh, having a job but I think even now most people are socialized to believe that a job creates security and so it's a big risk when you leave a secure or perceived security blanket I've done so like I've had some funny experiences I had a hot air balloon crash I took I led a group of people to Sedona at a healing retreat there and a few of us went on this hot air balloon crash and we thought they were just joking as we saw it like you know gliding down to this big boulder in this middle of this ranch and I thought, oh, for sure, he's going to put the flames back up and let the hot air balloon rise to the top again. No, no, we crashed right in this wicker basket. It's an actual wicker basket. Right. We crashed. None of us got hurt. And I don't know how. And I would still go into a hot air balloon this day. Like, that was funny to me. Um, I did walk on fire. My friend had just been certified to teach or to lead fire walking. And all the people, I just went to support her. I had no intention of walking on the fire but uh, nobody else was walking on the fire and it was going to burn out because they were just too scared. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just do it. And um, that was pretty interesting. That's a very interesting journey to go on. I'm not even an extreme person, mm -hmm. right? I'm not one of these people that has to go skydiving and do all kinds of extreme things. Nothing wrong with that. I just don't need to learn my lessons that way. But I will say that walking on fire as a metaphor for your fears is pretty powerful. Yeah, what did you learn from that experience? Well, you just showed you how powerful the mind is in determining what you should be afraid of and what you should contract from and what you can overcome. I mm -hmm. walked 12 feet over coals that were 100 or 1200 degrees and made it from one side to the other without getting burnt. And did you feel the heat? Uh, I don't know if I felt the heat, to be honest with you. I think they probably did in my last step. But I think that's part of it. You have to just kind of pretend that you're somewhere else, almost like walking on a beach or something, and you just have to go for it, right? And just keep a steady pace. You don't, you can't just stand there and look around. You have to keep walking. You cannot stand there. They do guide you, but um, yeah, and I wouldn't recommend that for everyone, right? You have to, I, I, like I said, I wasn't even planning on doing it. So that's why I think it's hilarious, right? That I did this thing that had zero interest to me. 
I wouldn't, I don't also feel the need to do it again, but I do think in the right container, if someone really is ready to crush their fears and nothing else has worked, it's, it's definitely a cool, at the very least, it's a cool life experience that you're always going to remember. Yeah, absolutely. So, and just another story. Yeah. I think the biggest, biggest moments that would be fearful would be, um, yeah, like just finally deciding to live my purpose and being committed to that, which sounds odd, right? Because we shouldn't be afraid of it. It's not that we're afraid of our purpose. We're just afraid of whether we're going to be supported or what if this doesn't work. And it's all the inner stuff. It's not really the outer stuff. And the inner stuff is the scariest for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you were talking about earlier what people are afraid of as they're signing on with you. And one of the things I hear is people like, what's your biggest fear about working with me is I'm scared about what I might discover mm-hmm. about myself. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So now, okay, switching gears a little bit. Uh, what's your, what do you want to say to the world? If you had a billboard, what would you put <laughs> on that billboard? When I was a kid, I used to see images of me, you know, using one of those megaphones saying, why can't we all just get along? Right. Uh, I think it would be something like that, but no, I would say we were sent here to learn how to manifest in physical form. We're here to create and we're here to see how much cool shit we can create without limitation, right? We're here Mm -hmm. to overcome limitation, understand we can create whatever we choose. And, um, and so in that we're already given the resources that we need to do that. And anything we need to pull on has already been created in the divine mind. We can access anything we want, any blueprints, any frequencies that will allow us to go out and create what we want. It's already there. If you want to be a millionaire, there's millions of millionaires that have imprinted the consciousness of how to get there in the divine mind. That's just an example, right? But um, we didn't come here to contract. We didn't come here to play small. And I'm not a big like, you know, bro marketing, go big, rah, rah, rah. You know, I like to do things in an elegant, more feminine way, but we did come here to be expansive and to share our gifts. And, um, you know, our purpose is a journey. It's not a destination. So if we can understand that and really get that, then we can infuse our journey with whatever kind of energy we want, whether it's joy, desire, you know, kindness, I don't know, whatever we want. Right. And, and let it lead us as opposed to, needing to figure it all out before we decide we're going to take the leap. So good. And I feel like that's a perfect spot to wrap this up. So so can you tell us how we can learn more about you, where we can, where people can find you, work with you, listen to your future podcast, go to your events, everything. Yeah. Okay. So the best place to follow me online is on Facebook on the purpose posse. It's a group for spiritual entrepreneurs. It's free. Uh, We have a really engaged community there. So I have other experts that come in and give you the astrological forecast for your business for the week and chakra, how to balance your chakras for the week, animal medicine, all kinds of crazy, you know, we're very woo in there. We, we fly our woo flag for sure. And um, then on my website, it's www.souljourneys.ca. So that's how to find all kinds of free gifts that I have and stay in touch and, you know, hear about all the cool things that are going on. And then pretty soon, yeah, I'll have this Seven Bigger Club podcast on iTunes and wherever else my team decides to upload it. (laughs) And that will be an interesting journey as well. Always. And we will link to all of that stuff in the show notes. 
So if the podcast is live, by the time this podcast goes live, uh, you'll just be able to link on over there. Thank you so much, Jennifer. This has been fun. Yeah, I've had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.